It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. <laughs> Talked about Harvey all the time, you know? So <laughs> he, he loved rabbits, so uh, he, he loved that. He loved that joke, and he told it, uh, and I was flattered that he did. You know, he he, um, he was like Ronald Reagan. He just he just was a nice person, you know. And um, I got along great with him, you know. You know, I start thinking. You, that's a great point. You start you start thinking about people like Ronald Reagan and different people that you ran into. Has American movie classics ever reached out to you about some of these people that you are able to do impressions of? And stop no. done anything with them. No, and I wish they would because Hi everyone and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews live from the grotto with Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing fantastic. And I can't wait to speak with our next guest again. Oh, he's so much fun. Rich Little, uh, probably the the best uh impersonator out there in the business today, comedian, everything can be. Rich, thanks for stopping by, man. And before, I guess we're just going to jump to the first question. What is the latest news with Rich Little? That's why he's out talking. Um, I just saw, got it hot off the presses. What's new with you? Well, I re-released my book that I wrote about five years ago. And I added a couple of new chapters. And um, you can get it on Amazon.com. And it's called People I Have Known and Been by Rich Little. Awesome. And you talked about that before the book out, but re-released, what is that going to entail, the whole re-release? Well, the first time they put the book out, the um, the uh, the people that uh, were behind it, they didn't promote it very well. And um, so he got a, a, a new agent and um, put a new cover on it and added a couple of new chapters and uh, re-released it. All right, Greg, I'm going to tell you, he's... It's, that, it's, not a, it's, it's not a biography. It's just funny things that have happened with me and celebrities down through the years. What I think is cool about that, Greg, is perfect for someone who performs them every night to have that on the table. You have something like a nice book like that. That's an easy <laughs> gimmicks. As I remember in professional wrestling, Rich, if I told you before I was a former professional wrestler, that gimmick table is big for, for performers, right? Especially at an intermission, signed autograph copies, everything. It's the perfect thing, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got to have that. All right, Greg, yeah, go, go with another question you have for Rich. So, so, so Rich, what, what's your favorite funny thing with a celebrity that might be in your book or might not be? Oh, my gosh. There's so many stories and so many people. You know, um, I talk about Jack Benny and George Burns and Jimmy Stewart and Ronald Reagan, who was always my favorite. Um, I uh, got to know him quite well and uh, spent a lot of time at the White House and uh, and uh, performed in front of him, and uh, he was terrific. <clears throat> One time he said to me, Rich, I, I think you do me better than I do. As a matter of fact, you do me so damn good that uh, I thought when I passed away that they, they should have buried you. <laughs> you <laughs> now, when you were talking and spending time with the late president, what do you think you learned in those conversations. When we meet with leaders, we meet with people uh, of influence, we pick out some and grow from having a conversation with them. What do you think you learned most from Ronald Reagan, from President Reagan? He, he, um, he was just a, a, a regular guy. that You didn't really feel you were talking to the president of the country. He loved humor and um, he, um, he, he loved to laugh and he, he just, uh, you know, he just was an average person. and. Um, um he like you're talking to an, a lovable grandfather you know and uh he just uh when i when i did him in front of him he he would just have tears streaming down his face he was laughing so hard you know um i just have wonderful memories about him that um he was just you know just a regular guy well is, is he one of your favorite 
people to oh, impersonate? Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Who, yeah. who would be your second favorite? Uh, probably uh, Jim, Jimmy Stewart. Um, I got to know Jim, Jimmy pretty well. Um, um, what, 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 do you, what do you call a bunch of rabbits that are standing in a row and then they suddenly take a step backward? Do, do, do you know what that's called? That, that's a receding hairline. <laughs> now, that's a pretty corny joke, but I told it in front of uh, Jimmy and he used it in one of his speeches. Because he talked about Harvey all the time, you know. So yeah, yeah. He, he loved rabbits. So uh, he he loved that he loved that joke, and he told it. Uh, and I was flattered that he did. You know, he he um he was like Ronald Reagan. He just he just was a nice person, you know. And um, I got along great with him, you know. You know, I start thinking. You, that's a great point. You start you start thinking about people like Ronald Reagan and different people that you ran into. Has American movie classics ever reached out to you about some of these people that you are able to do impressions of and stuff? No. Have you ever done anything with them? No, and I wish they would because I wish they'd interview me because I could do a lot of the voices of um, stars that are on American movie classics, you know? And I could do Gary Cooper and I could do John Wayne and, uh, oh my gosh, it's endless, you know? I can, I can do some of the obscure voices for them, like I do Dana Andrews, and uh, my gosh, I do um, uh, you know a lot of a lot of people that aren't Walter Brennan and uh, Charles Bickford. I could do all those people, and it would be it would be great on on American movie classics because they show all their movies, you know. But um, uh, they they've never got around to asking me, which is kind of a shame because I'd love to do it. Well, I'll have to put that in uh, tagging American movie movie classics with one of those uh, takes for sure. <laughs> yeah, put a request in. <laughs> That'd be great. So 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 what's the uh, the outline of your show at the Tropicana? I'm I'm guessing you've done it a bunch of times by now. And uh what, yeah. what's that like so for people that are either in, in Vegas now when they hear this or or whatever so that they'll be excited to come see it. Well, the thing is in my show um I I do a lot of the older stars and uh, if you're a young person in the audience, I'm sure there's young people that come and see me, maybe they're dragged along with their parents, I don't know, but they sometimes they don't know anybody I'm doing. It's amazing. Um, I, I had a kid in the front row a couple of weeks ago. He was about 15 years old, and I was doing all the impressions that I do, and I knew he didn't know them, any of them, and he was laughing his head off. He was just screaming with laughter. So at the end of the show, I called him over and I said, you seem to enjoy my show. He said, Mr. Little, I thought you were really funny, but I, I was confused. And I said, what were you confused about? He said, I just, I kept thinking, why are you changing your voice? Unbelievable. And that's, that's that. So I'm going to even go deeper now. We're going to think of even younger. AI has helped come up with some potential questions for you, Rich. So I can interview you about 20,000 times and come up with original material. And through, and it's a question that's never been asked. And if it has been asked, you have to tell me it has. Throughout your career, you've mastered the art of impersonating numerous iconic personalities. If you were to create an entirely new character from scratch, who would they be and what would their personality be like? Oh, my gosh. If I was going to add somebody new to, to my list of people? Um, well, you know, I, I don't do a lot of the younger uh, actors because uh, a lot of them don't have uh, very distinctive voices, you know. I mean, the actors of the 40s and 50s were easier to do because they were larger than life. And uh, today's actors are, are, are uh, tougher to do because their voices aren't that distinctive. And, uh, you know, I, it would be hard for me to do... Uh, uh, Brad Pitt or uh, George Clooney, you know, or um, uh, Matt Damon. It would be t it would be tough to do them because th there's nothing really in their voices that stand out, you know. And that's why I came along at the right time because um, I was doing, you know, Jimmy Stewart and John Wayne and uh, George Burns and uh, Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, and um, all the people that were around when I was performing, you know. Sadly, they're they're all gone now, you know, um, which is uh, kind of sad when I think back on all those wonderful people that I met on the Dean Martin roast. And um, 
they're they're pretty well all gone now. I'm about the last one living. That's because I, I when I did those Dean Martin roasts, I was um, in my twenties, you know, mm. and most of those people on there were in their thirties, uh, forties, or fifties, you know, and um, so I'm. I think of all the people that we did on the Frank Sinatra roast, I think there's only Ruth Buzzy and myself that's alive today. They're all they're all gone. Well, so, so you do a lot of presidents, which is great. Who, who's like the most modern president? Would it be Reagan or or Bush or? Oh no, I'm I'm doing um uh, Joe Joe Biden at the moment. And uh, getting a great reaction, you know. I, I don't know whether the liberals are too thrilled with it, but um, I'm having a lot of fun with um, with Joe Biden. Hey, man! Hey, you chumps out there! My my name is uh, is is uh, is uh, uh, oh God! Uh, uh, happy birthday to me! Happy birthday to me! Happy birthday, dear Joe Biden! Joe Biden! I'm the big guy, the head honcho, the jumbo jelly bean. I'm Joe Biden. <laughs> okay. Then I, I usually fall down on the stage. Oh man, I, we I have the ice cream. That was good. <laughs> that was now, how about Rich? What about uh, former President Trump? Um, hard to do. Hard to do. Um, I, I do them, but I, I'm not really thrilled with it. Um, a lot of people do a kind of a comical impression of uh, Donald Trump, but uh, I try to do them the way he talks, uh, and and it doesn't really register that well. So, you know, and the Barack Obama was one I, I couldn't do either. You know, I didn't find anything really distinctive about his voice. So, you know, there's a couple of uh, presidents that have escaped me, but uh, I still do... Um, um, George Bush, the two Bushes, and <laughs> two Bushes, and uh, I do uh, J Jimmy Carter, and uh, and uh, and of course uh, uh, Bill Clinton, and you know I, I do a lot of presidents, but uh, Donald Trump isn't one of my favorites. I mean, I like him, but um, yeah. I, I he's done a lot for our country, and um, I, I I vote for him really, uh, even though a lot of people don't like him, but. Uh, you have to forget about that. I mean, the people that don't like Donald Trump, maybe his ego, you know, his his text messages or whatever it is, you got to think about what he did for the country. And he did a lot for our country, you know. And um, that's what I focus on and not his personality. But a lot of people don't agree with me, but um, that's the way I feel. What about Bill Clinton? Can we hear former uh, President Clinton? Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton had that sort of frog in his throat. I, I think it was Kermit the Frog. <laughs> <laughs> Kermit. <laughs> you know, they, they did a survey about 20 years ago, and they asked a bunch of women if they would have sex with me. And 90% of them said, never again. <laughs> 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 ah, that's great yeah <laughs> all right go ahead greg next question well my question is i, I would love rich to critique your kermit of the frog i Help think we did, we did we i don't know if we did last time but i'll do it again i'm in the mood to do it let's do it okay uh you can be uh so who would you be if i'm kermit the frog let's do a little bit of an improv i'll do miss piggy huh okay Hi ho, Kermit the Frog here. Piggy, I need to go to dinner. You're taking too long putting on your makeup and doing all of these things. Listen, Frog. <laughs> uh, don't don't criticize me. This is Miss Piggy, and um, you know I you wouldn't be around today if it wasn't for me because you know I'd bring home the bacon. <laughs> But Piggy, I can't wait. We're going to be meeting with the President of the United States, and he has ice cream for us, and I don't understand why it's taking so long. It's been two hours. Well, that's because you don't know where you're going, and you don't know what you're doing. You're kind of a Joe Biden. <laughs> okay, there you go. You put me out to, to dry. I do a cookie monster as well. Oh, C is for cookie. Yum, 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 yum. 
I need cookies right now. And the president's going to have them for me, Rich. <laughs> I hope, hope we're not seen around the world here because they're probably wondering what the heck we're talking about here. <laughs> <laughs> we are seen around the world. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so that was a great question, Greg. Uh, now, what about, are you afraid to do certain uh, things in your improvisation and your, and especially at the Tropicana because of today's cancel culture and because of certain things that could cancel you in a way? Are you fearful of that when you're on stage with your some write-ups and different things? Well, you know, the thing is that sometimes you'll get um, some liberals that are out there that, that that just don't like the Biden at all. You know, they don't want to see him, me imitate him, and they get a little upset. And, and you know, there have been people that have walked out, you know, but uh, they, the, you know, it's just, just the way things are. You just got to impersonate somebody for what they're known for. And uh, the thing with Joe Biden is it's his memory and falling down and eating ice cream and you know, there's a lot of things you can you can uh, you can poke fun at, and um, you know, it's just so it, it's it's not a little different than it used to be. Um, people, uh, you know, that are uh, really a, a supporter of Joe Biden, they just don't like to see me make fun of them, and um, that can be a little bit of a problem. But lately, um, it, uh, there there are more there are more conservatives in my and my uh, audience than um, ever before. I would say not over 90% are Republicans mm -hmm. in my audience. Because there are a lot of older people and, um, and, um, and uh, you know, they, they just, um, they just accept me for what I am. I make fun of everybody. And uh, if I make fun of somebody that they like and, um, and in a bad way, or, or uh, they don't really appreciate it, they, um, you know, they get upset and just move on, you know. Don't make a big deal out of it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so so speaking back of, of Biden, if you got a chance to meet him, have you met him in real life? No. You know, no. Yeah, I wonder if anybody has really, but um, you know, if you had a chance to meet him, anything in particular you would ask him or that you'd want to know from him? Oh, I got a million questions I'd like to ask him, but um, uh, nobody does. You know, he's very he's very protective. You know, um, I think they write everything down that he has to say. And um, and they're always afraid he was going to start ad libbing and uh, talk off the cuff. And uh, and um, so he's very protective. And um, I, I don't think he would get a kick out of my impression at all. Uh, presidents that have really uh, loved what I do are Reagan and and the, and, and Bush and um and even even Richard Nixon liked my impression. One time I did Richard Nixon uh, for him down in San Clemente, very early in my career. And um, I was at a, a party he threw in San Clemente and all the stars of Hollywood showed up and they were all conservative in those days. And uh, my whole act was there, as a matter of fact. And I ended up doing an impression of Nixon in front of him. And... Um, he looked at me very curiously and said, uh, turned to his wife, Pat, and said, why, why is this man speaking in this strange voice? And, um, and then everybody started to laugh, you know, because they, they knew I was imitating him. And uh, he didn't laugh at all because he didn't hear, he didn't, he didn't know that I was imitating him. And it was, uh, I, I remember, I remember George Burns came up to me after and said, Rich, you know, you're, you're from Canada. I would suggest you get in your car and drive back there. And John Wayne said, somebody get a rope, you know. So <laughs> it wasn't a great, uh, great, uh, great scene for me because Nixon did not know I was imitating him. Wow. That wow. I was just talking in a strange voice. Now, thinking about today's stars, any of today's stars, do you put them in your act at all? Any of today's stars you're Im imitating that could be in the news or different things? Are you adding any of those new ones to the, to your mix? Well, you know, I do a few few people that are current. Uh, I do Dr. Phil. Oh, we got to hear that. I know. I know that the, you know the, that I know. 
And if you knew that, then, then we both would know if we knew it all, when we knew it, if, if we knew it at all. <laughs> <laughs> Any others? Well, let me think. Um, yeah, I do uh, Clint Eastwood. I do um, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I do, um, you know, but, uh, you know, it's so funny. The, uh, I was talking to a, a young person the other day and he said, I'm coming to see your show and I like the old stars. You know, I hope you do a lot of the really old ones. And um, I said, well, as a matter of fact, I do. Who did you have in mind? He said, oh, you know, Clint Eastwood and, uh, and <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, <laughs> Those were the old stars, right? <laughs> and I said, well, what about uh, George Burns and uh, Ronald Reagan and uh, Frank Sinatra? And, and he looked at me and said, I don't know who those people are. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And amazing. And, wow. And you know, it's interesting, and I'll let Greg, you have another question. But I have one more. Involving performing in front of a live audience. Uh, you know, this is something I miss of days as a professional wrestler to perform in front of a crowd and get the crowd's reaction and yeah. keeping it on, keeping them on task the whole time. It, it relates to teaching after I look back at things, because when you have a classroom and I used to teach as well, I had a classroom of kids I had to keep so they didn't go crazy, right? You had to keep them excited and give them everything. I call it the dog and pony show. How do you uh, do this each and every night where you have them from the beginning till the end? What do you think that skill set, how can you tell when you're losing them and you have to bring them back? Well, it's true. Every audience is different. And uh, sometimes if it's a small audience, they're a better audience. And sometimes when you think, oh boy, this is going to be great, the place is packed. And for some strange reason, uh, you don't get a, a big reaction and it kind of it kind of baffles you because you're doing the same show. And, um, but then again, I, I, every night I look at the audience because I show a lot of film clips of, of shows I've done from the past with the people I impersonate. And when that happens, I, I, I check out the audience. And sometimes uh, you'll see a couple where the uh, husband is just screaming with laughter and the wife is just scowling at me or, or vice versa. And you think to yourself, that's interesting. Here is one person laughing and the other person just looking angry. And um, this happens all the time. And I'm, I'm looking at somebody and thinking to myself, this guy hasn't laughed at anything I've done through the whole show. I mean, obviously he doesn't know who I am or he doesn't think I'm funny. And then at the end, he's standing up clapping and you know, giving me a handshake and everything. And he never smiled once during the whole show. Amazing. <laughs> so figuring out that reaction, such an important thing of a crowd and understanding that message and what comedians know, impersonators, actors, you know, any type of speaker, it's a challenge for sure. Go ahead, Greg. I know because you already asked him that signature question before you can go to some other questions from the first time we interviewed him. Yeah, I love I love this answer, but I, I, I would love to ask him again because I would like to ask it in a different way. So if we go to Ronald Reagan. So since we can't ask Ronald Reagan this question, and maybe you maybe you'll remember I asked you this. So from Ronald Reagan's perspective, if I was able to ask him, and if you would answer in Ronald's voice, that would be amazing as well. So I'd say, you know, Mr. President, what's the most important thing in life you feel you've ever learned? Well, well, uh, the most important thing that I've uh, uh, learned in life is uh, is to have a sense of humor and don't take yourself that seriously and uh, uh, you know um, just do the best you can and uh, and and uh, uh, and you know uh, stay healthy and eat a lot of jelly beans <laughs> thank you that was fantastic <laughs> oh man it, I, I, we could have this go ahead it's interesting how you can associate a lot of presidents with food. Like you've got, you've got um, Ronald Reagan with the jelly beans, and you got Jimmy 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 Carter Jimmy Carter with the peanuts, you know, and uh, George George Bush Senior, you know, with broccoli broccoli, and now you've got uh, um, ice cream with Joe Biden. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man and so i would i would just do a quick uh performance that you can be a character you choose the character i'm the professional wrestler challenging you to a match and i'm just going to be big neil the real deal i'm going to be the media giant i'm just going to challenge one of rich little's characters to a match who could beat me in a match today and set be in the squared circle tonight on june 6th who is going to take of one of your characters going to challenge me to a match tonight okay how about dean martin yeah dean martin yeah did, did, did you know what the angry deer said when he stumbled out of the forest or that's the last time I'll do that for 10 bucks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Dean Martin versus Neil Haley in a, a squared circle. Go figure. We tried everything today. Best place people can purchase a book. It's now. It's available on Amazon. It's available at your website as well, Rich. You have a website, right, Rich? What is it? What is it? My website? Um, the, um, real, huh? the Real Rich. The Real Rich Little. Dot com. Okay, the real rich little dot com. Check you out at the Tropicana every how many days a week are you in the Tropicana? There is Sunday through Wednesday at 6 30 in the Laugh Factory at the Tropicana. And I've been there for seven years. Do you believe that? Wow. Wow. You just keep going. And that's again the hardest working man in show business. Bottom line, if they complain, He's staying in his position in, in Vegas, and he keeps going. So I appreciate it, Rich. Thanks again. We appreciate the, the convo. Thanks, guys. I Thank you, Rich. All right. That was Celebrity Interviews Live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Guys, take care. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews Live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? Yeah, I'm doing fantastic, Neil. How are you today? Fantastic. We talked to somebody from the Waltons before, but we've not talked to the matriarch, Olivia Walton from... Again, uh, Michael Learned. Michael, thanks for stopping by from the Waltons. I'm so excited. It's interesting. We're going to use a little bit of a fun thing. I found some amazing questions you were never asked thanks to ChatGBT. Go figure AI, and I'll have some interesting questions for you. But I appreciate you coming back on, Michael, to talk about the Waltons and uh, you know how it just lives on forever, right? And that's got to make you happy, right? It does, sure. Absolutely. I get residual checks for 0 0.06 cents. Okay. So how, is that every week or is that monthly or how's that work? You know what happens when you first do it? You get nice little chunks of residuals. But after it's been running for, what, 50 years now? I think 40, 40 at least. You you know, that they, they trickle down and you get a check occasionally. One, I got one check for 0 0.00. It cost um. them... Oh it cost more to send the, the check than than was in the check. So, but anyway. the good news is that you always have the opportunity to do appearances. You always have the opportunity to talk to your fans. And that's got to feel great, even though the residual is not as big as it was at the beginning. No, it does feel great. And, and we're lucky because we have wonderful, nice fans. You know, they're good people. All right. All right. Go great. Oh, that's great. First question. That's so great to speak with you. I really enjoyed that show growing up. It's a lot of fun. Watched it with my mom and dad. Um, so, so let me ask you a question, uh, if you wouldn't mind, Michael. Um, you know, the, the Waltons, it, it portrayed a very simpler way of life. You know, how would you say that that compares to how we are today now in 2023 and how the family structure is compared to how it was then? And, and what are the pros and cons, do you think, of that now? Well, that's, an, that's a, a tough question because... Um, I think it's not all that different, to tell you the truth. I think a lot of families are struggling. A lot of families are still close. Um, I went to Bangladesh a couple of years ago for Save the Children, and uh, everybody knew who I was. I was shocked. I went to this tiny little village in, in the middle of seemingly nowhere, and um People had seen the show and they related to it because it's about family. So family is family. And that's what keeps it living on then, right? People are wanting to see good families, uh, healthy so. families that go through things, but healthy, good families. And that's what attracts the Waltons, it sounds like. I think it was well written, too. There was a lot of humor and uh, we older 
we, the adults, the mom and dad and Richard on the show, we, we used to have to struggle a little bit with Earl um, and say, you know, can you make these people a little less perfect? Because everybody's going to hate us if, if, if we never make a mistake and if we're always nice. So, you know, he had Elizabeth steal a doll from my Godsey store. And, um, you know, he had to search to try to find things because he, he knew all these people. These are real people that Earl was writing about. And um, he didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings, especially his mom, which was me. Uh, so I used to say, Earl, you got to have her scold, at least scold the wrong child and make a mistake. Otherwise, everybody's going to hate her. Nobody likes a perfect person, you know. <laughs> well, I'll ask you a question. Well, we um, interviewed Mary Ellen a few weeks ago. You know, one of the things that she told us about on her YouTube channel that she talks about the difficulty sometimes of, of acting on TV. She talked about timing and 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 when you ate, you had to, you know, basically eat again the same way you did when they did the next scene. This type of stuff. Did, do you have any remembrances or 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 thoughts around, you know, the difficulties of acting on TV, or maybe the the fun parts about acting on TV? Well, the hardest part of acting on television are the hours. You know, there a fifteen hour day is is a normal day. Twelve hour day is a short day. And sometimes uh, I shot one day in New York on a different series and it went for 19 hours. That's a long day. And uh, so it's exhausting. It's a grind. It's I, 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 I sometimes tell people it's the difference, but theater is like a racehorse uh, running a race. You go from A to Z, you run the race, you go the whole thing. Television is more like a plow horse plowing a field. It's stop and go, and then there's a rock. You got to get the rock out of the way, and it's stop and go. Um, so I, I find television actually more exhausting than doing theater because theater is exhilarating and your adrenaline's pumping, and television it's kind of get up and do it for 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 a second or a minute or two, and then you you, you sit down and wait for them to relight the next shot, and and you kind of. It, it, it's just a whole different thing, but mm. I wouldn't have changed it for the world. It put my kids through school and bought braces for them. And, you know, and I'm looking at you, the background here, you look like you're in a dungeon. Are you okay? Yeah. You know, it, it, I hope it's every so once in a while, if I misbehave <laughs> at work, you know, they, they put they me in put the dungeon. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Like there's some wine to keep you company in the background. Yeah, there's a little bit of wine there to keep me company. Yeah, that's good. And okay. <laughs> else, always. Now, um, Michael, the character of Olivia Walton was known for her nurturing and caring nature. How did you approach portraying her mother figure to not only her children, but also to the other characters who sought guidance and support? I'm not, I don't understand the question really. The other characters in the show? Or? Yeah, it's the other characters in the show. Hmm? Yeah. Well, it, as I said, it was a bit of a struggle sometimes with Earl because we were a little bit of kind of know-it-alls, but I, I kind of liked that part where we, Olivia was a little judgmental. She wasn't a perfect person. She, she was a little judgmental of people that didn't think the way she did. And, um, she wasn't always perfect. It's boring to play a perfect person because none of us are. And um, it's kind of fun every now and then when a person acts out of character, you know, when it, Olivia's a loving, good-hearted, all-knowing, wise mom. But every now and then uh, when Earl would allow her to act out of character, that was fun for me. I don't cool. think I answered your question, but I... Yeah, you definitely did answer it. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, in, in the Waltons, you know, there were so many messages and, and there were so many values that were portrayed back then. Do you, do you think all those messages and all those values um, hold true today still? And, you know, if not, which ones do you think, you know, have either loosened a little bit or have just gone by the wayside? I think, I think they're still here today. I live in a, I live in L.A. Um, I live in Beverly Hills. Um, we have a neighborhood. We talk on the street. We walk our dogs. 
Um, if if I needed some sugar, I'd go across the street and knock on the door and say, can 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 you spare some sugar? I'm out. Um, I don't think it's all that different to tell you the truth. I think we've got computers and fast cars and all the stuff that we, you know, television and all this stuff that they didn't have back in those days. But I think in terms of family structure and neighborhoods, we still have that. I, I'm very optimistic about our country. I, I, I believe in it. I believe that a lot of people are still living from paycheck to paycheck and they're managing to raise their kids and send them to school. And um, we're, we're, we're good people. Interesting you say that. And then that's the thing that I guess that depicts this. And then this is interesting part of it is because I, you know, never watched the Waltons really. Uh, Michael, uh, it was, I guess it was right before the time period for me. I was born in 1973. I'm 50 years old. And the setting of the Waltons in rural Virginia during the Great Depression, this it really interests me to want to watch the show now. Uh, and World War II offered a unique backdrop. How did the historical context of the show influence storytelling experiences of the characters? So that's the thing that, you know, we hear the word the Waltons, but we didn't understand it. it's during a different time. And we still see these same characteristics in place. But how did you kind of place your role as Olivia when you talk about historically the time period? I never thought about about it really, to tell you the truth. I tried to live in the moment on the set with the kids. I love those kids. They're now middle-aged people with their own kids. Um, but the love was very real and the, the affection that Ralph and I had for each other was beyond words. I mean, we had we had a real love for each other. And um, I think, I, I don't think you can fake that kind of energy. I think that energy was very real and potent and people, that's what people were responding to. It was uh, Pam Polifronia. Um, well, she she cast Gunsmoke. I'm not sure that she cast the Waltons as well. But um, the casting of the show was pretty terrific. And I got so lucky um, because I really wasn't right for the part. I wasn't what they were looking for. Um, they were looking for a, a woman with, well long red hair in her middle, you know, middle forties. And I had short blonde hair and I was 32 just. And um, a woman named Ethel Winant went to bat for me with Fred Silverman. Apparently he didn't want me and he, and rightfully so, I wasn't right for the part. I wasn't what they were looking for. Um, but she went to bat because she used to come up and watch shows at ACT in San Francisco where I was um, performing with my, ex-husband um, Peter Donat and she would come up and watch the shows and so um, the story I heard years later was that she wrestled Fred Silverman to the ground over you <laughs> that's what I was told <laughs> and God bless her for that well, that's great you know it, you kind of touched on a question I was going to ask was you know is there a particular role um, prior to the Waltons that helped you prepare to be Olivia you know what would that be and now you kind of mentioned that other role that uh, your friend saw you act with your uh, former husband in. And, you know, what, what was that role all about? And and why did you think that was? Uh... Well, that was actually Private Lives, uh, which was uh, directed by, um, um, oh my God, um, who directed Private Lives? Coppola. Francis Coppola. I'm just, I'm just, I haven't had my breakfast, so I'm just having a That's okay brain part but um yeah francis coppola and he was wonderful um because private lives is can you can be played quite stylistically you know and he he was on me all the time he said go for the truth go for the truth stop stop acting and it turned out to be funnier the more we played the truth of what was happening uh than if we had just sort of played it for la di da and um, it was wonderful working with him. I was, and he, he would disappear every weekend. We'd say, where are you going? He's going, well, I have to go to uh, LA. And uh, he was driving a little VW, rusty little old VW, all bent up, all dented up. And he'd say, well, I'm going to LA. I'm editing this movie I made. Well, the movie was The Godfather. So, <laughs> wow. um, yeah, he was directing Private Lives in San Francisco with me and editing The Godfather in L.A. on the weekends. Wow. 
<laughs> Did he think the Godfather was going to be as big as it was? I didn't even know what it was. Um, and for a long time, I, I couldn't watch it. I didn't. I was in it. But apparently, a photograph of me is floating down the river somewhere in there. But um, yeah, he. Uh, no, that's Apocalypse Now. Sorry, that's Apocalypse Now. But Godfather, no, I don't think he knew. I don't think anybody knew. And and he was, you know, he was. He's such a down to earth guy. He's just. Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen him in years. But I I really loved working with him. He's an actor's director. He knows. He knows the process, so he knows how to help get you where you need to go. Did you work on any other projects with him uh, besides that one? No, we were going to. Um, he said he was going to write a part for me. He, he called me up and he said, you're going to play Marlon Brando's wife in Apocalypse Now, and you're going to be the only woman in the movie. <laughs> and it didn't turn out that way. I couldn't do it for some reason. I was, uh, I guess I was doing a nurse or uh, some series. And I couldn't do it, and and I lost out on that one. Boy, that that hurt. <laughs> I would have loved that. And it, it, you know, he works so he's such a genius. He just, uh, got, it probably from the beginning when he first conceived the whole thing, it probably changed a thousand times because he'd get an idea and then change it around, and mm. you know. You know, I was thinking about the Waltons before Greg asks his signature question. And basically, when I think about the Waltons, what do you think the fans would say why they love it so much? I mean, if you go on a Facebook right now, there are Facebook groups, about four or five fan Facebook groups with over 20,000 members in each one of them. What do you think, you know, keeps this going for so long that made it such a great show that people just love it today and will want to talk about it all the time? Family. That's the only thing. And the stories were good. I mean, there were some real stories. There's not a whole lot of storytelling on television today. Um, there are exciting shows. There's wonderful. I love Netflix. There's all kinds of wonderful stuff uh, on television, but um, not a lot of just story, gentle storytelling, you know, the Dust Bowl, because it's it's almost, I think the show could almost be shown in schools because it is the history of this country at a certain period in, of time. I'm going to go back and watch it because I enjoy history and I would have never known that. And I forget what stations the Waltons is on now, but they're somewhere on cable right now you're playing. And that's the thing that you live on forever uh, through Tell iconic television shows. And I wonder if that will continue the way we talk about ones in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and 90s, if today's TV will live on forever or it will not, like some of these shows have. Greg, go ahead with your last question. And, and this is a this is one, Michael, to really think about. Yeah, that's great, Neil. And, and I was thinking before we do that, you know, maybe if if you and I and we get all our friends to watch, then maybe we can get those uh checks up to maybe a nickel for Michael. Or seven cents, maybe. I know. That'd be great. <laughs> well, Michael, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure uh, to meet you and have a chance to speak with you. Um, you know, before we go, I have this question for everyone. It's for myself, really, to help me be better and for my audience and people that are able to listen to this. Um, what do you feel is the most important thing in life that you've ever learned? Well. I'm still learning. I'm still learning, but um, you know, Winston Churchill said, um, "Humility is an accurate assessment of your assets and liabilities." And I, I think, I guess, I mean humility because it doesn't mean you you become a doormat and let people walk all over you. It just means that you're humble enough to know your good qualities and and your flaws and your dark side and so that you can work on the dark side and 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 not wallow in the good side you know what i mean and um that's that's something i i think is a life journey you're always relearning it um tr trying to put things in perspective in proper perspective 
Um, I I suffer terribly from illusions. You know, I have a lot of illusions about a lot of things. And when those get popped, I just cave, you know. And uh, it's my illusion. I have to be responsible for it. That's right, thank I you. I beg your pardon. I thought I had my cell phone. I thought I had turned it off. No, Michael, that is just a great information. Your website's the best place people can find information on you, right? Is that correct, Michael? Or social media? Yes, I, I actually have somebody, uh, Lisa England, who's working on it. I, I never have before. So now I've joined the group, <laughs> I guess. And um, she's she's doing a nice job, I think. Okay. Well, we appreciate it, Michael. Thanks again. And thanks for the time and the memories. And I'll be sharing this in Facebook groups for sure. This interview to the Waltons groups that I've joined. And I hope that we'll definitely have another chance to chat soon. So thanks again. Thank you both. Thank you. Take care. All right, guys. That was Celebrity Interviews Live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna, guys. We're back to the Neil Haley Show. And I'm excited first to welcome my co-host, Kim Sorrell, author of Love Is. Kim, how are you? And I know you're excited about our guest. I am doing great, Neil. Thank you so much. And I am very excited about our guest. Uh, first of all, he's an Olympiad. I want to hear more about that. But Sean McClellan, the things that you are doing through Outdoors um, uh, Tomorrow Foundation are, is amazing to me. You've graduated over a half a million students. We have. And, and I went to your website and I saw where a young woman saved somebody's life because of your program. And so welcome to the program. I know that you've been uh, at your job for about six years and, and we're just excited to hear about it. That's wonderful. Thank you for having me. Such an honor. Uh, I've watched a bunch of your show as well. So this is great fun. Oh, I appreciate yeah. it for sure. And uh, how did that all start for you? Like the Outdoors Tomorrow Foundation, how did it go? How did it become what it has become today? You know, uh, really over the last 10 years, uh, they really, uh, they saw the need and, and strictly because uh, kids are on devices and they just spend so many, so much time on video games and uh, really uh, everything in between. So uh, between that and the love for nature, that's where this was really born out of. And seeing that need is something that drove us to create this two semester long outdoor education program. It's an incredible program that is doing incredible things. Hopefully it spreads like wildfire. You've just recently gotten a nice size grant to help do that. Can you talk about that a bit? Oh, my gosh. Uh, the International Order of T. Roosevelt. Um, and they they stand for everything that we do. Uh, and they're, they're really targeting uh, so many different specific uh, research and conservation projects. And then the education side of what they do, uh, they just gave us a $100,000 grant uh, to help scale and accelerate our education program. And it's just phenomenal. Just incredible what they're doing. Now, finding an opportunity like that to get that kind of grant really changes a foundation's game, right? It changes the ability to fund, to come up with activities, allow more kids to be involved, right? For the money that you've been able to get from the grant. So much so. And it, what's really incredible here, um, especially on a grant this size, uh, we can put that directly into reaching the, the very next school. So we have a, our outdoor adventures program is a 180 hour, two semester long outdoor ed course. And as you know, uh, the outdoors has no bias. It doesn't matter how fast you are, tall you are, or your socioeconomic status. So we typically teach this as a physical education course and uh, funding like this just helps us accelerate that. And by the way, we're reaching about 75% urban schools around the country. So we're primarily an urban program. As you can figure, a lot of those kids just never get off the concrete. So with funding like this, we're able to reach the very next school that and that typically doesn't have a budget for PE. So it's either going to be sitting in the bleachers, playing dodgeball, or uh, learning about camping, fishing, and the outdoors. Yes, I, I would love for you to talk more about how the program works exactly, because there's so much to it. There's some of your background, some shooting, I think, is involved in fishing and camping and kind of everything to do with outside. Um, how does the program work? Uh, well, first there, uh, especially on the, uh, the, the Olympic side, uh, I shot international skeet, which is a clay target game in the Olympics. And uh, I'm a competitive person, for first and foremost. So I'm able to translate uh, that inner competitiveness and drive that forward to trying to reach kids that are never going to experience the outdoors. 
And uh, I'm an outdoorsman. Uh, my wife and kids are as well. And we just love it. And I know if I work on an individual community program that I'm going to reach kids probably on a, a, a much smaller basis, but still very impactful. But through Outdoors Tomorrow, I'm able to leverage that and reach hundreds of thousands of kids at a time uh, by scaling this program. No, I think that, that that's so fantastic because what it does is it's giving the kids the opportunity to be outdoors where maybe they don't based on the school that they're at. They really don't get to see what it's like outside the schools in their neighborhood, whatever neighborhood they're living in and seeing it's a different lifestyle, a different type of situation. I remember when I was a kid, the schools, alternative schools that I would go to that were private schools, they would have us do a lot of outdoor work where we would go camping and we would learn about each other and learn about community and learning about how to get along with each other in a different atmosphere, sleeping in the same place versus saying goodbye at three o'clock. You really build those relationships that are people that are not always just the athletes, everyone in between. Kind of explain that where you know, you're getting kids to interact of all different uh, backgrounds and different things, which really helps them build that well-roundedness for moving on as an adult. You know, Neil, we reach the non-involved student. So if you figure at a, and we're K through 12 as well, by the way. So if you figure at a, a typical private public school anywhere in the country, if you don't play a sport and you're not in band, you're not involved. So there is really nothing else for you to, to develop those core friendships uh, and develop something that you're going to be passionate about for the rest of your life. So that's where we come in. And if you can uh, participate in any one of the interactive lessons that we do, uh, you'll learn a myriad of different skills that kids can take, not only take home, but they can take on for the rest of their life and get into any one of these different outdoor skills. You know, I, I love what you said about uh, sports and band. You're absolutely right. Like I, I've got grandkids that go to a big school and if they're not involved in anything, they hardly know any kids. There's no connection and connection is so important. And I would think that that because of being outside and the skills that you teach with this, that the kids would bond like there'd be a natural bonding. Are you finding that that happens? Very much so. And you're, you're developing so many different skills over the course of two semesters that it's a way for the teacher to connect with the students. Um, and I'll, I'll just jump in on one of those too. Uh, right here, and I live in Fort Worth, Texas, but just right across the Metroplex, uh, we hear so many wonderful stories every single day. You know, and there's a, a wonderful story in Allen, Texas. Uh, the PE teacher at the time, they had just adopted Outdoor Adventures. And, you know, he was going and finding kids uh, you know, right after school, we're just going across the street to uh, like the local Sonic and local fast food places and just hanging out for hours. There is nothing for them to connect to at school and they're not playing band and they're not in a sport. And this is one of the ways that he went around and asked all those students to kind of give a poll for that and, and kind of, check, kind of find, find out through a survey of what do you want to do? What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do for outdoor skills? And all the kids said they have you know, they have nothing to do in the outdoors. They don't know anything about it. And just as simple as where does your meat come from? Where do your vegetables come from? And do you know what the most common answer is? What? Supermarket. Oh, oh man. Even or if we're Texas, that's surprising. It depends on the part of Texas, right? <laughs> when we pull students around the country, the most common answer of where it actually comes from, where the, where the origin is, supermarket. This is a tough time. This is where you wonder where, how much time do you spend on an iPad or iPhone versus learning about anything outdoors, even where your food comes from. Right. Now let's talk about schools that you're involved with. You're in Texas, but you're nationwide doing this, helping with the school. Yeah. We are. We're only lacking Delaware and Connecticut. So if you know anyone in Delaware or Connecticut, we would love to have those contacts. <laughs> they should be involved. They they should be. I know uh, 4-H was part of your life growing up, and I kind of picture this as um, sort of a, a, a 4-H kind of a thing uh, where I was in 4-H too, and the bonds that I made, are I still have friends from 4-H, and but 4-H isn't available everywhere. It's not available in every school and seems to be a more rural kind of a thing. So to be in the inner cities, uh, how, how is that different, or what do you see different with the kids or or the, do you have to tweak the program at all or 
what what are the differences? Just for scale, uh, 4-H, and especially it's huge in Texas. It has a presence around the rest of the country, but it is really big here. But you tend to, just like you said, you tend to only reach that, uh, the rural setting. And even within a rural setting, you have to have parents that are willing to take you to the events on a regular basis. So just for that to happen uh, is pretty difficult. And just by the numbers, uh, a, a much, much, much larger statistic of kids are never going to get the opportunity. It was a core part of my life, and it was a wonderful program. Uh, but even that only lasts a few months out of the year, where uh, we try and target all of the best parts of this over a two-semester period, and you're reaching every child. Um, and one of the really fun parts, too, I, I say we don't reach the band or sports, but they have the opportunity to take the class as well. And uh, after the first year, uh, we statistically have about a 30% um, uh, buildup of students that aren't able to take the course because they, they're completely full. So it is um, typically the most sought after course uh, in the school once, once they have it for a year. So Sean, what are the challenges for this foundation? What are you moving forward? You got the, the, the grant, but there's still more fundraising available. How can you serve so much even before this, uh, you know, before this grant? And what are the goals for the foundation moving forward after that? You know, we're on track this year to reach about 40,000 new kids. And uh, we're looking for that scalability to reach 200,000 kids a year. Um, and the key part there, and one of the biggest challenges in education, um, it varies. Uh, and I, by the way, I'm not an educator. Uh, I didn't come into Outdoors Tomorrow as an educator. Uh, and the folks that run our, are the education side of the foundation, they're incredible people, by the way. They're some of the most passionate and wonderful people. But it is incredibly difficult not being an educator uh, to try and reach, A, uh, reaching individual PE teachers. And most of the folks, uh, the vast majority that teach Outdoor Adventures are not outdoors people. So you're a PE teacher at a school and then you're getting all the training both from Outdoors Tomorrow and from state agencies and uh, resource agencies for the state. So those are typically, uh, the training part is easy. The reaching the administrator at the school, um, and that could be anywhere K through 12, or reaching the PE teacher at the school to even let them know that we exist. Those are two of the biggest challenges there. Mm -hmm. How how do you go about that? Like, What has been successful in reaching teachers and administrators? That is a great question. Uh, being our biggest challenge, uh, it is it's finding people in the the physical education space um, that have those nationwide contacts. That is the number one. Uh, but anything helps. Anything helps from uh, any type of social media. Um, if you if you know about the outdoors and you know how uh, incredible the impact can be having nature in your life and understanding what sustainable do sustainable use does in your life and the impact that it can have on kids at a very young age, a positive impact for that matter. Um, that's the message. And that's the message we're trying to get kids outside and trying to get uh, get that message to administrators. So it's interesting, Sean, I, my background, uh, again, uh, I, I'm a former teacher. So I'm very passionate by this uh, program. And I have a lot of clients who I work with, uh, you know, that I provide social media for and some and podcasting that are you know, in the education field. So I'm definitely going to connect you to more to see if we can get more and more schools to help that process in this networking phase. Because I think it's the biggest challenge today is we cannot get people on the telephone. We cannot find these influencers because the challenge is picking up the phone and calling them. And that process is the biggest, hardest thing. Social media reaches them. My show reaches them. But to have them to take that action, what are the steps involved when it comes to a school that wants to be involved in a program, your program? What do they have to go about doing? You know, we've been refining that process. Um, and, and just this is uh, j just today even. Uh, but building a, uh, a comprehensive uh, e-commerce system through our website that walks you through that entire process has made it uh, so much easier just in the last few months here. Uh, but the process before that is going to our website. Um, or going to a catalog like Gopher um, is one that a lot of teachers use around the country uh, are easy, easy ways to find us. And you're looking for the outdoor adventures program. 
Are you so, doing, are you reaching out one more question? I'll let you go. Yeah. I'll, I'll let him with that question. Do you allow private schools as well to be involved in this program or is it just oh public? My gosh, yes, absolutely. Public and private, uh, anyone in between, and we can even translate it as well for other countries. Oh, wow. ah, I okay. love that. That's that's amazing. So if anybody's listening and they're involved in a school where you are not there yet, um, but they're passionate about what they're hearing and they think it'd be so great for their school, do you, do you ever get any individuals that fund it for a school? Oh, absolutely. Uh, that's one of the most special ways that uh, there can be support for a school. So we have individuals that will do funding for uh, an individual school all the way up to uh, regions and entire cities. So we have some incredible folks do that. Um, we had one gentleman do that in Virginia. I mean, brought on uh, uh, about 30 schools. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.